Something different this way comes something Something different Something different I'm Heather McLeod And these are conversations to ease my climate anxiety in Thunder Bay and this is the Tips for Changemakers edition, my conversation with Aaron Beagle, Executive Director of Roots to Harvest. I think Roots to Harvest is a game changer, a quiet revolution maker, a community building powerhouse. And Erin Beagle is not only the woman heading it up, she started the whole thing. I'm a huge fan of Erin and her organization. Both give me so much hope. Hope to ease my, my climate anxiety because, because I, think, I think humanity's superpower is collaboration. The more of us able to pitch in, the more we get done, and the better a job we do. What keeps us from pitching in is often social stumbling blocks. You know, sort of exclusionary fences we throw up out of fear that I think we would do better taking down. And Aaron Beagle is brilliant at finding ways to take down those fences and rebuild those connections and re-engage those wonderful souls that are a part of our community and give them what they need to keep contributing and contribute more. I'm referencing, by the way, Rutger Bergman here, um, which is his book, Humankind, is one of my favorites, and it's on my reference bookshelf of hope. Roots to Harvest is visionary. It, it, it's super effective at helping those excluded from pitching in. Denied, maybe it's care or maybe education or work opportunities that would allow them to pitch in to our economy and community like they long to do. That said, I'm by no means an expert in this fast-moving train we call Roots to Harvest. It is a living, growing, ever-changing community organization. There is a lot to keep up on. But I can tell you, um, if you don't know them already, that food is their tool of choice. They use food the whole journey from digging in a garden or digging up and creating a garden to, to serving a great meal into a whole string of opportunities to gather life tools, build skills, relationships, confidence. That is the roots the organization grows and the harvest they gather is healthier, more secure Thunder Bayers with generous servings of shared adventures and good meals along the way. The first space I really noticed them take over was probably over a decade ago already, a garden they built on Algoma near Bay. The first office space I visited was just a few small rooms over Both Hands Bakery on Algoma. They've really grown over the years. Now they work on several garden spaces. Um, they've got one at Volunteer Pool, you've probably noticed. There's one on Lily Street. It's huge. There's an edible garden parquet on Court Street I was just checking out recently. is pretty magical. And they've got this big growing space on Water Street they use in so many innovative and exciting ways. I volunteer a bit for Roots to Harvest. Erin asked me to come by and talk with one of their groups about um, money management and such once a week for his summer a few years ago. That was the beginning of my volunteering. Um, and every time I get a chance to join them in their efforts, I come away feeling like I was given so much more than I gave, that I got to see community alchemy in action. Lots of plain old regular imperfect people making something pretty close to perfect somehow happen. And all of this started with one woman's friendly determination and vision. 
I'm so pumped to share this conversation with Erin Beagle. She is awesome. I call this our Tips for Changemakers edition. We recorded our conversation back on Valentine's Day. She was my very first guest. Hello. Welcome. Thanks. It's awesome to be here. It's so cool to get to have you as my as my first guest, partly because you're somebody who makes things happen. Um, you always have an idea. You have uh, you have you have ways of, of involving people and just realizing visions. So, do you have any pointers for people who want to help make things happen or have their own ideas they think would help change things for the better? Let's start there. Sure. Like I, I think that there's a couple of things first because I think that my the advantage I have is that I have this like bus. Like Roots to Harvest is like let's call it the bus, and I get to drive the bus. And so it's really nice to like already have the vehicle to be able to do some change making in, if that makes any sense. I'm not trying to be a voice on my own. There's like a little bit of cred behind me. Um so I I think that like I don't want to like understate that because I think that it's helpful. And, um, but you didn't always have a bus. I mean, you helped build this bus. No, that's true. I did. I did. But there's a thing that I think sometimes it happens where there's not as much personal risk when it, when I'm like, well, I'm doing this thing and it's roots to harvest and it's work. And like, can we try it? Oh, that didn't work. Well, let's try again. Like I sort of have, you know, a built in, um, like reason to try things. So, so that is part of it. But I think if we take the U and we turn that into roots to harvest, like just even for, for the context of this, I, you know, I think that part of what has helped roots be successful is finding champions and even some unlikely champions that will stand along with us. Um, and like what, like what, 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 what comes to mind for a champion that you've really didn't first come to mind, but has proven to be a great asset? Yeah, that's a good question. So I think initially it was some, just like some, some of the teachers we used to work with that allowed us into a system that we didn't have to go from the top to say, can we, you know, go to the director and then do this. And then do, like, we were like, can we just come into your classroom and try this? And that was great. Right. In the urban garden, like part of it, it was finding like the landowner that had that Cornwall property and then Brad Felino, who had Felinos, and him saying, yes, you can use the water and Brian Hamilton saying, yes, you can use the washrooms. Like, right. you know, these th that made things possible that we couldn't have done it otherwise. Like we couldn't have just put, plunked a garden there if these other people hadn't been like, well, okay. And they had to take risks too. They didn't know us from anything. We had nothing to show that like, oh, we've done this all the time. We know what we're doing. So, but it sounds like there's a lot of like faith and persistence and adaptation that helps you go from an idea to a realized dream. That's true. I think there is that. And I think that even more organically, there's a piece that's let's just try it and see what happens and let's get to yes. So let's get to yes. Sorry. That's my first favorite thing. Let's get to yes. <laughs> Yeah. And if I think about it, like it was a, a bunch of people saying yes to us. And, and and if any of them had said, no, 
like, actually, you have to get permission to do this, or actually, you know, your insurance doesn't cover this, like, we didn't have insurance, like, you know, then it could have stopped really quickly. And I don't know what I like, I don't know if I would have the persistence to be like, Oh, okay, let, let me go figure that out. And I didn't have to. So, um, so in some ways, it was not as easy as you might expect it to be. But in other ways, it was easier than you could have feared it would be. Absolutely. Yes, I think so. Yeah, I think it could have been much harder. And, and then I think, having had those people say yes, then like, my goal was to make sure it worked for them like that, not for them, but like, I didn't want it to become a problem for them or I like, I wanted to see that this is successful. Yeah. Yeah. Really respect the yes. Yes. And that, um, so following through, like, I think, you know, what makes things successful, like doing what we say we're going to do is part of it, following through on it, you know, looking for their feedback. I don't know. Like, it makes it sound like I'm always looking for people's approval and that's not always the case, but there is this like answerability that we need to be aware of that, you know, if we're doing this together and I have to depend on you for certain things then I need to respect that I need to check in with you sometimes. And um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I hope that that makes sense. Like, no, I love that. I think there's so much in there that's got a real pragmatic, positive wisdom right? You're saying, I got to respect what I've offered. I've got to listen to why they offered and make sure I meet that need yeah. and, and what their worries are and make sure I honor that concern. And, and also just be willing to ask yeah. and have faith in people. Yeah. Right. You know, you've got a bathroom. Can I use your bathroom? Totally. What would make it okay for me to use your bathroom? I, no. Yeah, I remember like bringing the kids in there and being like, okay, so we're using Brian's bathroom. So when you come in with your muddy shoes is when, when you like wash your hands and you leave the sink a mess, like you can't leave the sink a mess because this is like his restaurant. Like it, like just like really, it sounds silly, but like really silly things like that, that were ended up, I think being important. Yeah. Those aren't silly. Those are yeah. very important. Yeah. Very, very important. Sure. I love that. Okay. So I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to hustle along though. I also want to talk about what's keeping me up at night, <laughs> which is a climate emergency. Um, and I, I waffle back and forth between, well, a lot of terrible things have already happened and we've been through them, so we'll be fine, to are we doing enough? What's this gonna look like here in the next five years? What could we look back at and say, I wish I'd done then that we're not doing now? Um, so anyway, when you think of climate emergency, climate action, climate change and Thunder Bay, where are you at with that? I think I sympathize with where you're at with it because I feel the same that I have this like innate, like everything's going to be fine. But I think that this is my short-term thinking of everything might be fine in my lifetime and fine is relative to like my power and privilege. But um, I, you know, I have kids now. And so I think about like, is it going to be fine for my grandkids? Is it going to be fine for, for those things? And, and, and I don't know that it is. Um, and I think that in Thunder Bay, we are in a place that we are primed to be able to ignore it. Like we are, are buffered by, you know, living in a very stable place. You know, we're not on the coastlines and, you know, we, we don't see hurricanes and, you know, but, but we just lived through like a crazy drought that happened this past summer. And we could, we live in the middle of a forest and fires are very real for us. And there's 
nothing to say that we don't get evacuated. And, you know, the cost of transportation and our isolation here is so high that it could like really have huge impacts on us in ways we haven't experienced before. Mm. So I think that there are these realities, but just of like who is going to feel it first is not going to be the people that are the decision makers. Like, and again, like, because we're buffered, because we are economically buffered by it, like our, our houses are going to weather, you know, flooding better or insurance is going to cover it. Or we have these safety, like, you know, and so it's just going to be like, well, it's fine. And, you know, I think you see this around the world that people who are in lower socioeconomic states feel it first and those aren't the folks that get to dictate change or make policy pushes and i don't think we're immune to that here that those are people who are going to feel it first in ways that we maybe not recognize in the same way people who are as reliable on the forest or reliable on the lakes or you know they're going to notice those things so and it could be like a like a, a frog in a heating pot kind of thing, right? So who's to point to and say that was the proverbial straw or the real issue going on here is something we should be addressing outside of yeah. and thinking of as climate change. Hmm. So what really struck me with a lot of the reading I do is it keeps it keeps making the picture bigger and not saying climate reaction is about how we produce energy alone. It's like, if we're going to pull this off, we really do need to pull together more effectively and not leave people behind. Um, and and we already leave way too many people behind. Like it, I, I try not to think about it because I can't get over how rich we are in so many ways and how many of us are so desperate and not getting opportunity in a well-educated country to get educated, not getting opportunity in, uh, you know, not getting opportunity, not getting a fair shot, not getting due respect. Um, and so if you add stress to those sorts of, of, of divisions, you could, make them bigger or maybe you could bridge them <laughs> and get more people on board and and less people that we have to you know pull out of the water that can help us patch the holes that was a terrible metaphor but no i think that the i think that makes sense i think that, absolutely i think that um yeah the frog in the soup pot <laughs> makes a lot of sense unfortunately it's just at what point does the frog realize it's in the soup pot and and I think that, you know, we've called this a crisis in Thunder Bay, an emergency crisis, emergency, um, a climate emergency. An emergency is something immediate. And I know that's what this is, except that then what? We, we called it a climate emergency, but like, where's the emergency? Like if we had to say, where is it? You know, because people want to like, emergencies mean like I feel and need to do something about right now. Like all of us need to do something because our house is on fire, like get out. So... I just don't think that we've totally, I don't, it's not that we're not there. It's that we don't know that we're in the soup pot. Like it's just too big still. And so it like, you know, like, like the trash compactor in star Wars, like, you know, you don't know it's closing in until you're like, shit, like I'm, you know, I'm feeling the squeeze. And um, so I, I, I do, I worry about that. Not that we've, not that it's not an emergency, just that it's not an emergency for enough people yet. Like maybe we haven't got to that tipping point. Yeah. And that makes me think of another book that came out a couple of years ago. Um, it's called, and it compared, I have it on my shelf, Seth Klein, I think it is, but I'm terrible with names. Naomi Klein's brother. And he uh, was looking at the climate emergency and comparing it to the second world war uh, and was blown away by the parallels. 
because the beginning of the Second World War, Canada was very divided. And everybody was all about uh, what we couldn't do because we couldn't afford to do it and who had to be left behind because there wasn't enough to go around. And then um, when the war happened, the big concern was how do we get people fighting this war when we can't conscript people and nobody likes us, they all hate us. Hmm. Um, and they tried a few things and then gradually they came around and, and what was their successful way to coming around to getting an incredible amount of buy-in and action and transformation of this country um, was saying we're in it together hmm. and promising that we're going to come out better. So what can we do that will help, hmm. uh, but will also be good for us in the long run, not just get us through a war, but have us happy to have survived the war because of what we've given one another in our efforts. And it was things like, you know, healthcare and um, EI and uh, affordable housing and a right to an education for anybody who wants to, to go beyond high school. All these really key things uh, were kind of promised and decided upon as things that we all valued. And then people were willing to volunteer and work for free and eat differently and, you know, do all these really generous things for a very abstract war on the other side of a, of a giant ocean. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I think of that when I think of a lot of these recommendations, like in the drawdown project they're looking at what can we do what do we need to do in order to not just survive rising temperatures but address them to go back to a more stable climate at some point and uh and and what do we need to shift and uh, what really struck me was the the impact of including people yeah like inclusion well wow. and um and 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 being more fair in the distribution of wealth and opportunity um, so I've, and the other thing, the other thing they talk about a lot is like a quarter of the recommendations are all related to food, what we eat and how we get it and how we grow it and what we do with what we don't eat and how we make sure nothing is wasted or how, what, how wasteful we are. Um, so that totally gets me to you. So what are your thoughts? If you could like snap your finger and, and really change something here in Thunder Bay that would position us better for the long term when it comes to food and people. Like, oh my God, that's like you, right? That's roots to harvest. Uh, what, what, what comes to your mind? What, where, if you could just magically get us there. <laughs> that's such a hard question. Because <laughs> I know you know how hard it is to get us there. But, but like, if you could just, you know, get over some of the obstacles. I, I mean, yeah, I think there's a, so is like seeing that everybody has a role to play to get us there. Like, I would love it if everybody was like, we all have a role to play. Like, you mean, you just spoke about this in that book that, like, that, you know, we all have to come together on it. And I think we have a long way to go in Thunder Bay about like ensuring that people have a role and meaning and are valued, you know, in that. And, and for us as an org, it's like, how do we make sure those voices are at the table and that um, they're included in why we're doing this? Like, we're not just like thinking of like, you know, it's, it's, informed by who we work with and why and and what can be better about that um and you know i think that the other thing is like what we have magically in thunder bay it's not magic what we have in thunder bay and in canada is access to some of the most um brilliant knowledge keepers elders who have been stewards of of this land you know since well before there's a canada and know very well on, you know, how we live uh, to put land first, to put, you know, humans in synchronicity with the land and 
and that has been something that is lost, but they don't have a voice at the same level, you know, at the, at the economy level and this global level. And if we could like look in, like that would be like, let's look in, what would the elders table say? Like, you know, what would they say about what should, what should our next step be? And that's who I want to hear from. I want to hear from them. I'm like, what are those next steps? Not the political, not the economical, but you know, yeah. From those elders and knowledge keepers, like they're, the answers are there. They've been living them. They've known them for a long time. And I think this is a new, you know, reality, obviously, but there are still lessons learned from there that, that, you know, that's where I want those voices amplified. And I don't know how to do that in the same way. I just want them to be amplified so that we can learn from them. And, and then that we have to listen to them. Like we have to, we'll do what you say. We'll just try that for a while. And if it doesn't work, we'll, you know, we'll try something different, but I think that would be like my magical, like, can we do that? Because we do have that advantage here. Like there are some brilliant, brilliant people here that are totally tuned in that, um, you know, don't have the voice that they could or should afford here. As far as like the food stuff though, here goes, I mean, Thunder Bay is in a funny spot. We can grow so much food. We can, like, we have oils, we have grains, we have proteins, we have dairy, you know, all the fruits and vegetables, obviously, like it's all here. We can grow this food. Um, this food that we can grow is not as affordable you know, as we might want it to be because the cost of labor are high and the scale of our economy is small. And, you know, so there are reasons for that. But if we can find other ways of like uplifting people economically, like making life more affordable with childcare or basic income or, you know, pharmacare or like these things of like, how do we make life more affordable? Then we can afford foods, hopefully, you know, that are produced locally and on local labor. And um, yeah, that, you know, that are from and within our seasons here um, and be more self-reliant on this, you know, or more regional in it, like, you know, with Minnesota even and Winnipeg, obviously, but we always look south to like Toronto and, and those places. But what is our solution regionally here? And it's pretty rich. Like we really have some, some, some good um, talent here. And, you know, if we work as hard as we do to get industry to get like new and young farmers, onto our very affordable land, into our very, you know, opportunistic communities that, that there would be other things that they could do and, um, you know, really incentivizing regenerative agriculture. Wait, just a second. What is regenerative, regenerative air culture? Agriculture. Um, so it's, you know, it's just a way of basically like farming with the land in mind, like that, it, it will sustain, replenish our land. And there is way more to it. Like I'm not gonna, I'm not, I'm not at all an expert on it, but it is like land first, you know, and working with, with the land to like get food from it, but right. putting in the practices. And there are a lot of farmers who, you know, who are looking at those practices who are real stewards, you know, of waterways and, um, you know, and li living in a watershed like we do. Uh, or like living on the edges of forests and grasslands and preserving those things. Like there are a lot of farmers that do that, but not at, at our like industrial scale, which we don't really have in Thunder Bay. We don't really have a big industrial scale here. So we're prime. But what that makes me think of is, is two things. One is a really interesting article I read in, I think the New Yorker fairly recently. And it was about a, the um, Lawak Lightly on the earth 
archaeology. So archaeology is, a, I think they, they said it was like, it's, it's like the graduates of tomb ra raiders, hmm. right? So the idea that we would go looking for something that was really obvious, like some ruins, something big and ostentatious that had been built by a civilization that didn't appear to be using it anymore. Um, and then we would we would deduce what it was. And then next you'd go looking for somebody who was living differently than us and stand outside that and try to understand how it was different and what and judge it really. Oh, so how that was taught to me when I was studying history was, oh, my gosh, we're doomed. Every civilization that we've ever built as human beings has like imploded and we've we've uh, we've all died. Right. So we're all doomed. That was like the history of, of, of civilization. But now we're like, no, just a minute. There's tons of civilizations that have walked more lightly on the earth. They don't leave ruins. Mm -hmm. They actually they build they build the, the, the they see the world that they're walking in as part of uh of their life and of their community and what they have to sustain and, and interact with respectfully. And therefore there's no ruins. Hmm. And, and they're finding some that are like long lived in cities, uh, which have been around for they're suddenly realizing like 6,000 years of people not needing to get bigger, not wearing out the land around them, right? And family after family living lightly on the earth. So that's what we have here. We have a continent that was yeah. well-managed and lived in gracefully, uh, respectfully for thousands of years before there was a change that we keep referring to as the traditional way or the way it's always been done. And it has not always been done. It's very, very much changed a lot in a short period of time like of the carbon that we've released through burning fossil fuels, 70% of it's been released in right. yeah. the last 40 years. Yeah. Right. So that's since I was born, we've been ramping up how much we think we need to use electricity. That's not always, that's clearly recent. I'm not that old. <laughs> so anyway, so yeah. So I really, I, I'm thinking of those. I think there's so, that would be so wonderful. It takes a different, like we need to rethink about what is success because I feel like, you know, success is getting bigger. Like that is how we have judged success. Success is a large family, a big business, a second business, a big house, more cars. Like there are these, like, what is success? And if we could reevaluate that, you know, you know, success is um, having strong community or, um, you know, finding finding meaning and identity and contribution, you know, to, to our, your world in some sort of way. Like, you know, if we could redefine what that is, it's not as measurable, but like that takes an entire paradigm shift in our brains to say, I'm not going to measure it this way anymore. And, and it takes a different way of asking questions. And I'd say like, you know, even from a not-for-profit standpoint, you know, we have KPIs and we have funders that are saying, like, tell us what your thing is and how much are you going to be able to make and how many people did you affect? And, and it's always measured on this. And we're often going back to people to say, um, we are not like this is not about the numbers. I'm not going to weigh and count food for you. And I'm not going to tell you how many went into education, employment or training. But I am going to tell you that so and so can make eye contact now. And that's pretty awesome. Like, you know, we're going to call that success or so-and-so knows that they can't call for help. They will call for help when they are feeling suicidal or of self-harm. They still feel that sometimes, but they can, they'll call for help now. And that's success. So like, how do we remeasure? Like those aren't societal measurements of successes, but like, but they are, 
they could be, you know, they could be, it's just, it takes a more, more relational. Like we need to be more in relationship with one another to be able to see those and identify them and have them. And, you know, we're in these cycles here of like, well, what about in a year? This is not in a year. Like what about in 20 years? Come and ask us in 20 years, stick with us for 20 years. And I will tell you what we did, but that takes a big risk. You know, like that's long qui planté des arbres. Nobody's going to stick with us for 20 years. Yeah. 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 Anyway. Now, long qui planté des arbres, that makes me, this is my favorite documentary ever, which is about the chef, uh, what is his name? I'm forgetting his name. Bouillard or something. Anyway, he was just like a fairly undereducated dude who kept sheep in a landscape in France that had lost all its trees because um, they were making. <gasps> the man who planted hope. L'homme qui planted des arbres. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Right. And so, and so it wasn't just going around and, and making time every day to plant a few seedlings. It was also going around and telling people why they shouldn't step on seedlings, right? Why, why they got to respect that place that just looks like a scruffier bit of pasture and let it be what it is um, yeah. and what a difference it made. And that was... Yeah, I love that story. Yeah. That's kind of what we're talking about is how, how do you live today for 20 years from now? How do you live for... Which is, again, yeah. the 10 generations way of weighing decisions that we've heard, I've heard of secondhand from wise elders of our community. Yeah. I think the only thing that, like, I love that story also. I, and it's not a story. I, I love, I love that that happened. I think that what, I don't want to put all the pressure on individuals mm. that, like, it, like, there's so much stuff on individuals. Like, there are things that need to happen at these, like, really big levels that, you know, just by us, and I, and I don't want to minimize it. I just don't want to let bigger things off the hook. Right. Like, because you know, all these individuals are going to like buy their e-cars or turn the tap off when they brush their teeth or wrap their presents in leaves, like whatever. But if, if, if that's happening at this individual level, things have to happen up here. And I don't know what comes first. Like maybe this is like, does it happen individually? And then that seeps up or does that happen, you know, with policy and, um, you know, big level change. And then that's comes down. I'm not sure, but I don't, I just don't want to let the big players off the hook Absolutely. so easily because, well, we're going to, you know, that the, they're not, they don't have to do their part. Well, because they are, I want them, you know, our representatives, right? Yeah. And, and you and I both know when you meet somebody who really cares about the job they've been elected to do, they do listen yep. and they're frustrated because uh, their efforts to to do what they think is being asked of them are often thwarted systemically yeah. uh, or culturally. Uh, so it's really frustrating work to ask them to do. And perfect's never on the pick list. Yeah. Right. They can say, look, and I did this. It's better, but it's never perfect. And if all you're doing is focusing on what's imperfect, that's really grinds down the people trying to do their best. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, if nobody told them what good looks like, nobody told them what they would really love to see, if nobody showed up when they asked questions, mm -hmm. how could they deliver? And yeah. yeah, I'm totally with you. I feel like we need to do both, have, have, give ourselves permission to, to, to just try things with our friends and our family and our community, um, but also not expect that to solve the problem. We've got to have expectations of our systems. Yeah. Yeah. And hold them to account. And totally hold them to account. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. I agree with that too. So what gives you hope? <laughs> what gives you hope? Um, yeah. I, I mean, I think the small things give me hope, honestly. Um, 
that, you know, it's silly things that, you know, people can't wait to get out on frozen lakes and go fishing and um, that we can still, I mean, like that we still can experience and have community, you know, together and um, have dialogue uh, and especially, I mean, I've been thinking lots about this, how we've forgotten to t- how to talk, mm. you know, at these sort of national levels with these things that are happening most recently. And um, and so when I can have conversations where we're on different sides, but it's respectful, you know, it, it's still like it's yeah, it's human to human. And, you know, um, I that gives me a lot of hope like, that that still exists so we can get there. Because it's really easy to be like, oh my gosh, we are so divided and we we can't talk about this anymore. We can't even agree what is true. Like we, there is not even an agreement anymore on what is truth until until there is, until we can get to like, okay, we can start at the same place. So yeah, I think those are those little things that give me hope. I think like, but I think that sounds cheesy. I almost feel like I'm like searching for it. I don't feel hopeless. <laughs> I will say that. I I, <laughs> I just don't know exactly what it is that is fueling I mean I think it's those things we talked about like that there are change makers and they are doing things and there are examples all of like if you look anywhere there's great examples all the time well I'll tell you Roots to Harvest gives me hope Hmm. I'm glad it does it does it does when like when I got to volunteer with you and the workers that I got to see regularly they gain so much they're just in their bodies and in their relationships and in their confidence um, their smiles, you know, and, and it was like magic. Um, they, they learned, they sure had more to tell me because they had learned things that were practical about gardening by the job they were doing, but, but it was bigger than that. Right. It was so much bigger than that. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that part of that is like, have they have a sense of place? Like they, those folks that you got to see, it's like, yeah. that's their space now. And then you have to like, welcome you to their space. And they got to like own that a little bit. And they were like, t- they totally belong in that space and they contribute in that space, you know, and whether that's gardening or changing the oil or, uh, you know, cooking or whatever, like there's so many, like, but they belong, have value, can contribute. Like those are like, that, that's what we want, like the work to be. And so when you get to come, you know, or we get to have, have you on site and, and it's like mm. being part of that community, like they are part of that community and you get to be part of their community is is really great and and you also have a good approach to coming in that you're not coming in being like i have all this information and i am gonna like graciously share it with you you know like you're there as an equal with them like you know in conversation and in relationship with them which is you know why that works so and that's because that's the culture you guys have built right that's the expectation you bring yeah say we will allow you to join our community here's how we do things yeah i hope so yep um very graciously no, no, just yeah. like, you know, celebrate and respect. And uh, any rate, so that gives me enormous hope. I feel like, yeah, being rooted in this place that's so beautiful Agreed. and has such history totally. um, is, is an amazing um, opportunity for, for positive things to happen. Yeah. Well, thank you for giving me a half an hour of your day. <laughs> thanks for asking this what a, what a nice way to start my week it's great it's really nice to have a conversation like this
Aaron Beagle is the executive director of Roots to Harvest. I just need to repeat some of what she just said there. Let's get to yes. Then make sure it works for those people who said yes, respecting that we're in this together. And check in. Look for feedback. Follow through. Look for champions who let you into a system without having to go to the top. These are things she just said there that I'm literally writing on my wall. I mean, like, how many champions are there in Thunder Bay? With a door to a system or a connection or a group that doesn't take a lot of asking. Now, that, that is a tip for changemakers. Something different this way comes, something different this way comes, something different this way comes. And, here's another quote I'm writing on my wall. The climate crisis in Thunder Bay is like the trash compactor in Star Wars. You don't notice the walls are coming in till it's like, shit, I'm feeling the squeeze. <laughs> that is like such a great metaphor. Who is going to feel climate change in Thunder Bay is not going to be the decision makers. People in lower socioeconomic states feel it first. Yeah. So what's being done about that? What do we want to do about that? Something different this way comes. Something different this way, this way, this way comes. A lot of this conversation really stuck with me. But nothing more than Aaron's wish to look in and hear what would the elders' table say? What would they say about what our next step should be? Aaron said, We have in Thunder Bay and in Canada access to some of the most brilliant knowledge keepers and elders who've been stewards of this land sustainably since well before there was a Canada and know very well how to live, to put land first, to put humans in synchronicity with the land we live on. I want to hear from them. The answers are there. They lived them, been living them. They've known them a long time. But they don't have a voice right now at the same level, at the economic level and the global level. There are lessons that, that I want to be amplified so we can listen and we can learn. Can we do that? Sometimes a conversation doesn't need a recap. It bears repeating. What would the elders' table say? I want to know. I want to listen. And I want to learn. And I want to see this change in Thunder Bay. That would be a difference that could this way come that I would welcome. Thank you for listening to Something Different This Way Comes. The Tips for Changemakers edition with the wonderful Aaron Beagle of Roots to Harvest. Thank you to the fabulous Leah McKay for helping in designing and promoting this podcast, which is entirely my own. I don't speak for nor am I sponsored by anyone. These are just my thoughts, my opinions and conversations with people I am honored to get to chat with. They are posted every Tuesday in May and June. And next week, I'm going to talk with Brendan Grant of Sleepy G Farm. Uh, that will be the Food Futures edition. And it's truly edifying, pardon the pun. I know you're going to get a lot of inspiration and just enjoy hanging out with Brendan. He is so smart and good-hearted and thoughtful. So check out 
somethingdifferentthiswaycomes.ca. I'm Heather McLeod, and this is Something Different This Way Comes. Something different this way comes something. Something different, something different. Something different this way comes something. Something different, something different. Something different this way comes.